everyone to Future Shock, episode two, our second episode. Uh, this is Christian Lagarde, the co-hostess with the mostest, and my colleague here, Matt Bullens. Map advising. Hello, everybody. From from Washington, D.C., all the way to the West Coast in, Sorry, in San Francisco. Here we are. You see um, San Francisco. Right. Spanning the globe. <laughs> Spanning the <laughs> globe one step at a time. Uh, welcome everyone to our to our second episode. We're super excited to get into it. Uh, we are going to talk about a couple of things today. We touched on it in our first episode, sort of gave you a highlight reel of what we thought we were going to be doing. That's me and Matt. Hello from the <laughs> that's a Lagar group and Map Advising. Yep. So with the two with our two topics today that we wanted to dive in during the first episode, we shared some a long list of things we wanted to discuss. Right now, more than ever. Remote work is at the top of everyone's mind, uh, trying to navigate what it was and what it will be. That's what that's what we're going to talk about today. What it was, what it would be. The pandemic made huge, huge impact and huge disruption uh, for for both Matt and I, honestly, on how we worked individually, much less our teams that we worked with, our organizations we worked with, etc. So we were, we were, we're thinking about this and sort of the, the theme of our episode two is the post-pandemic impact and what the post-pandemic layout looks like for remote work. Our second topic is about cryptocurrency and blockchain. So new technologies was a big theme that we wanted to talk about during our Future Shock episodes throughout this year. So we are gonna be diving in as, as you see the graphic, uh, the, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin graphic yep. there. A little bit of foreshadowing there. We won't, we won't talk about robots from Star Wars, but we are going to talk about Bitcoin. And not that BB-8 is not a bad topic. We could, Matt, we could do a whole episode on BB-8 and R2-D2 and CP-3O. Maybe sure. in the, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, new technologies and talk about cryptocurrency and blockchain. So let's jump into our first one about this post-pandemic plans for remote work. We are now in 2021. We have... Now live with this for a year, right, Matt? I mean, this has yep. been we're we're going on almost a solid year of this this complete change with with how we work and how we how we deal with the, since the pandemic started, and we have been tracking it, we've been watching it, we've been living it, and we have been and we're very interested to see what comes next. I think Matt said it so perfectly about sort of you know what what does that what does this look like. Once everybody's vaccinated, what does this look like? Once the pandemic's over, what does this look like for small, medium, large, large organizations, nonprofits? You name it, uh, everyone's doing it. But what does it look like now? After yeah, after I was, I'll, I'll just add, Christian. You know, so a lot of businesses were, you know, dealing with remote work in various forms. You know, 2018, 2019 into 2020, and then a whole lot more were forced to do remote work because of the pandemic. They were forced to try it out, if even if they were a little bit skeptical of it originally. And it's going to change the way things are going forward in the workplace, how many people are working in the office and how many people are working remotely. We don't know to what degree yet, but we do know that a whole lot of businesses that didn't expect to be working remotely started last year. Right. You're, and good. Yeah. Good point about this isn't something new. This just threw this just threw a mark. This just threw remote work into the only category of how we're, of how we're gonna work. So you had some remote workers, you had some teleworkers, you had some, uh, you know, fully 100% other side of the country. Like, if, you know, when Matt and I are working together, he's in California, I'm in DC, of course we can work, we're distributed, it's fine. 
Uh, we work for organizations that have a very good culture around that remote work, but that, that wasn't the case. We saw it unfold in 2020. Some, some organizations were caught sort of flat-footed on how to build the infrastructure for remote work, how to manage in remote work. All, you know, all, did they have enough technology? All those things. So yep. that's, still being, that's still being massaged. It's still being solved. One thing we found recently was this survey done by Educause. And these are some, these are some it's, a, it's a long survey and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of findings and some thoughts. But Matt and I wanted to share some of the things that we took away from it, uh, from this survey. And it resonates with what we, we personally experienced in 2020 and what I think our colleagues and, and organizations felt in 2021. During this, in this survey, 69% of people that they surveyed liked working from home. That was, that was a, that's a fairly sizable number. Even more, even more shocking was that number was the 4%. Only 4% of respondents in this survey uh, disliked working remotely. So that then tells you as an organization, if our, our employees don't mind doing this, there, there yeah, may have yeah. been an assumption that they did not want to work from home or they didn't like working remotely or they had or they wanted to be in the office. Did that number, did 69 shock you, Matt? Or does just four yeah, shock you even I more? I mean, it's, it's really high and for only 4% saying no, not at all. And so that leaves 25% somewhere in the middle, probably, right? Like they probably like some parts of it and not others. Um, but that's a pretty high number. I mean, it, it kind of backs up what we've always thought that it is a preferable way for a lot of folks to work, you know, or at least in a, a mixed way, you know, meeting in the office one or tw once or twice a week and then working from home the other days of the week that that there's a, there's a big uh, desire for that among workers. Yeah. And one of the reasons why and what this survey found was that employees realized that work-life balance is the greatest benefit of remote work. Uh, this, this is near and dear to my heart, as you all know, and I shared on episode one, my dissertation is built on this exact topic. It's built yeah. on work-life balance, about teleworkers and non-teleworkers and, and the perceived differences between the two. So it was really interesting to see this, this brand new survey just done in you know, the end of Jan in January and then the findings released that work-life balance is the greatest benefit of remote work. Matt, have you felt that? Is that something that you're also experiencing and hearing from your uh, yeah. other other? Yeah, friends? I mean, I think, it, it, and the pandemic, I'll also say the pandemic is sort of a special case of remote work because um, people have their entire families at home with them. Their kids are not going to school in a lot, most states, or it's mixed. You know, so a lot of people have their kids at home doing virtual school, their spouses or other family members are also working remotely or maybe also working in person some of the time. But it's also not a normal working, remote working situation in 2020 going into this. Um, yeah. And so people do see the work-life balance and I think everybody's driving each other crazy all being in that <laughs> working from home, doing school from home and yeah. Oh. And that was, I mean, exactly what you just said was a quote, and I need to go back to, it's somewhere on my Twitter account in early days of, in the early days of the pandemic and the early days of all this, is that, I, you know, me being that, you know, having just done all this research, I got, you know, I finished it in December 2019, and then this happens in 2020. But my quote was essentially saying, we're not, you're not working from home. This is me tell, like, telling the world, right? You're not working from home. You're at home trying to work during a pandemic. So that, that it's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different. You're, you're, yeah. Everyone's forced to go home. 
forced to figure out how do I work on my kitchen? I got to work on my yep. kitchen table. I have to work on my couch. How do I do this? That's different when you have the infrastructure and you have an office, a dedicated workspace, you know that you're planning, that, that is your workspace. That's a major difference to what happened in March of 2020. Yeah. And, in and I was, you know, it was like, it wasn't so much about I'm at work versus I'm dealing with personal stuff for the rest of my life. Those are all kind of intertwined now in the pandemic because you're in right. and out most of the time. Um, and, and so it, it was also just kind of a interesting experiment, remote work, because I, it's not the way remote work will look probably going forward, um, but it right. really brought it to the forefront for sure. But let's yep. talk about some of the losses a little bit too. Those are interesting. Yeah, yeah the, the losses that, you know, the, the two that we found interesting were, you know, institutions that they survey were planning to support remote work for many jobs. And Matt kind of touched on this. Not everybody can, can work remote. There's a lot of industries that this is impossible. Hospitality, service, pick one. Manufacturing, hard to do. Um, so th those that can do it are planning to support remote work for many jobs, uh, but they're not ready yet. So they're not ready to permanently support remote work. They're doing something that's either, uh, like Matt was saying, sort of a one, two day here or there, or you know, two, two days in the office, three days out or something, something like that. Uh, and I think it goes to exactly what sort of Matt and I were talking about. A company has all this space, has all these offices, and they, they, have, to, they have to use them. They're, they're, they have all this computers and infrastructure and all the things that are at the office. Um, to do that, they, would have, they really have to sort of unplug from that mindset. And these institutions will release commercial real estate, will release those, that office space. And when they do that, that's a big step for an organization to, to, to do. And it's a yeah. big, it's a big thing that it's a big thing to, uh, to decide to do, to get rid of that space that you'll may, may never get back again. Yeah. And the water, the water cooler moments is also a really interesting one because so much of building a work culture happens in between meetings, you know, walking by people's desks or meeting at the water cooler and um, checking in on other projects or asking about things you're not really closely involved in things that you're not in meetings about, you learn about what other people are doing in their projects or their personal lives. And again, building relationships. And, you know, there were some attempts of that last year of like, well, let's have a virtual water cooler. And it's a good idea. And like, it's definitely good something to try, but I don't know that it replaces the in-person, you know, and it's definitely could be a loss for building a work culture and building relationships. Um, and something yeah. to kind of pay attention to with remote work. Like, how do you make that happen when you don't see people in person. Agreed. Agreed. I don't, know, we put I, up a, I don't know where the term lobbyist comes from, you know, in politics, but it was, they were, these were the people that would meet senators and Congress people in the hallway and in the lobbies to influence them, you know, and it's not just in politics and policy. It's the way kind of the business world works as well is like so much happens in between meetings or in between big presentations or sales calls, whatever it might be, a lot of the stuff is informal that really makes businesses hum. So that's a huge, it's a huge thing. Yeah. The, to your point, the whole joke about politics, you know, that shaking hands and kissing babies like that, <laughs> it, that's a real thing because they're shaking hands and they're kissing babies and they're making their connection and relationship with their constituents that happens in business. The same thing happens, develop, relationships are developed through that personal connection for those informal moments that you're talking about. Yeah. They put up a, they put up a chart inside of, inside of the, the survey that sort of highlighted some things that both the, the chief information officers and the staff felt that they, 
that rated very high. So, you know, what are the benefits that you personally expect from remote work? And as you see, 69, having a better, have a better remote life can be more productive. That's a big, that's enormous that they think that they feel, they feel that they can be more productive, less stress on me, morale will be higher. So even though that there is this lack of water cooler effect, the benefits of all those other things, the productivity, the work-life balance, less stress, that all increases work, that all increases morale. So even though there is like, there is this sense of uh, lack of community or, or a, maybe a void of a lack of community, there's still, there's still, still, staff are still thinking that there's high morale because they can still figure out ways to connect and all those other pros for, for working from home and staying remote yeah, add up. Yeah. I, I thought something really interesting from this chart was how different the CIOs rank things than staff and, and one in particular that the CIOs ranked more diverse staff at uh, 54% of them said that was a benefit of it and only 22% of staff. And um, I, I think where the CIOs are coming from is now that if we're recruiting people remotely, like now there's no boundary. And now, you know, so the upside is you don't have to live in an expensive area to work for a company that might be headquartered here in San Francisco, which is extremely expensive to live in or anywhere in the Bay Area here. You could live in, in you know, Idaho or Kansas or Washington, wherever you want to live and still work for a business in San Francisco. And I think that might be the thinking of like, well, now we can, you know, we can have more diversity because people can be anywhere. But that also implies that also um, the assumption there is that people have the infrastructure to work with. You know, right, and, right. and I'll bring that up again in a in a moment. Is like especially in low income communities, um, the infrastructure is not there. Not everybody has reliable Wi Fi or internet access or a computer that has um, a webcam or whatever it might be that a lot of other people take for granted. You know, in in this remote working situation, so. I don't know that it necessarily leads to more diversity. It definitely can widen your reach and who works on your team. Right. That doesn't solve all the problems of really um, doing something about diversity if that's a goal for you in the business. Right, and that, that's a very good distinction because they, if you look up top, it, 75% was about recruiting talent, you know, casting out wider net. So yep. being able to hire non-locals for the, exactly the reason you talked about, high rent districts, New York, uh, LA, Miami, San Francisco, but they specifically said more diverse staff. And I think that's, that's what you're driving sort of that point home yeah. about what, did, what do they mean by that? And that, you know, I wonder what, what was that sort of assumption and what was that impl- implication? It has to be what you're saying though, right? Matt, I mean, it has to be about because of that reason, because they're not forced to be in that higher rent area that you can, uh, that you can hire uh, more diversity because you're not bound by the, by the income that socioeconomic uh, issue that goes into living in these big cities and these and these uh, you know these, these types of areas or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it is. It's fifty four versus twenty two. It's a sizable difference. Yeah, between. and, and it, it also looks like CIOs weren't as you know um, excited about productivity as staff were. You know, staff said they're at sixty five percent. They could be more productive. Only fifty for CIOs. That was another like difference and managers or leadership being worried about the productivity, whereas staff saying, I am more productive. So that's an interesting difference too. Cool. All right. All right, well, I'm sure we'll, we have some takeaways. We have more to talk about this, but let's let's dive into my favorite segment of our show, of our episodes, I should say, uh, is about was McKenzie wrong? And for this in particular 
report for this in particular segment of this of our episode about what was McKenzie wrong is about this remote work component. So in 2020, they put out their reports. They have a top 20, I believe it's called what is the, na- the actual name of it? Their 12 highlights from their 2020 research. And they had 12 highlights in this full in this full report about uh, everything from climate change to remote work to, to you name it. Things that were things that were trending, workforce comp, workforce workplace things that were trending and this is what they this is what they showed on on their on their infographic in this piece so on the next on the next you'll see six remote or number six was remote work surge during the pandemic will it last uh and they were describing sort of how they what just like just as we're talking about this burst of remote of remote work happening during the pandemic uh and it's unlikely to continue at the same level so were they wrong were they right uh, we have our opinions, we have our thoughts, but yeah, Matt, you want to talk about some of that, that detail that they yeah. showcase? Yeah, absolutely. And so this, we just, you know, we're trying to critically analyze this information and may also make it useful for folks in the workforce and education fields, you know. Um, and so they have a chart here and there's there's more to the chart if, if you go to McKinsey and look at it on how they sort of ranked how, you know, easily you could make these tasks remote tasks, basically. and but there's a lot of assumption baked into this, right? You know, this is where, you know, are they getting this right? So they, they for so the one all the way on the left there on the bottom, updating knowledge and learning, basically saying that's that's easy or one of the easiest things you can make remote. Um, and I'm not so, so sure about that. Uh, a big assumption baked into this is that people learn from just receiving content or just access to content. It's the whole idea of we're democratizing education by putting it online. And that doesn't really democratize, that doesn't really give equitable access just because everyone can access it for free or can get it online. Um, you know, there's a lot of good research and, and uh, I'm reminded of a podcast I listened to at NPR um, and there's a, a professor, Sugata Mitra, who did some study, they studied learning and they have a whole concept called self-organized learning. And one of the key parts of that is how much learning is social, like how important the social aspect of learning is, um, how important collaboration and teamwork is in learning, um, which is much harder to do in an online setting. Yeah, sure, you can put a course in online and people are self-paced and you watch videos and you take quizzes. That's great for a certain type of learner. Um, I don't think updating knowledge and learning is is as easy for every learner, right? And, And we know that uh, lacking the social aspect, you're not going to learn as much. You're not going to take away as much um, from the learning. So I, I would not have rated it nearly as high as they have, as, as far as how widely applicable that is. So, th- so as we said, did they get it wrong? You heard our opinions. Be the judge, judge yourself, and we'll share. We'll share the link uh, to this to this report. Uh, for those of you, we'll put it in our yeah. uh, in the comment As section. Tell also, I mean, we still don't know how much remote, how these many of these tasks and these things were going to be made remote, right? Yeah. Time, time will tell what some of this do, but yeah. So we will now move on speaking to of, cryptocurrency. To yes, speaking ahead. of social, <laughs> speaking of social activities, as, as Matt was just describing, uh, we just saw, we're seeing, we're seeing it right now. We're, we're literally in it right now is this run up in cryptocurrency like has never been run up before. This isn't, cryptocurrency isn't something new. 
Uh, but it definitely is now on the tongues of every single person, no matter if you're in, if you're a, if you're a retail investor, if you're an investment banker, if you don't even work for the Federal Reserve, a cryptocurrency is on the tip of everyone's tongue. And this is some reasons why. What happened? I guess it was sometime last week, if I'm not mistaken, or two weeks ago. Uh, Dogecoin became a thing again. And why, what I mean by it became a thing again is that it was introduced in 2013. It's not new, but I guarantee you're, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, to this uh, YouTube video, this podcast, I guarantee you are, you've said it or you've heard somebody say it over the last two, two or three weeks or, or a month or so. Uh, it was introduced in, in 2013. It was named after the founder's dog, kind of as a joke. Ha ha. Uh, it's, a, it's a Shiba Inu, if I'm not mistaken, is the exact uh, is the yep, exact yep. dog that was that it was yep. named. Um, so it's like dog the e-com- meme, right? Exactly a meme. A meme currency is the is the way that's said. So, <laughs> ecoin ecoin is a little nod to Mr. Robot for anybody out there as a fan of Mr. Robot. So, uh, ecorp and such. But the Doge ecoin was a dog ecoin uh, was was happening. What we saw over the last couple of weeks was this Reddit effect this reddit board effect and we're not going to get into gamestop and amc and all the other stocks that got run up because of the short squeeze but just particularly for for this for crypto due to that short squeeze and all that was happening with reddit is is that is that board wall street bets was just constantly promoting and pumping things in this became one of those things that they constantly pump and we saw because of that short squeeze activity that was happening dogecoin went up over 800 percent in 24 hours yeah, incredible. Uh, why we not we're not really sure, but it did. And this this element of 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 social buying now, and and it not to blame the platforms. Not this is not yeah. to not blaming on on Robinhood. Uh, this is not Robinhood's fault. This isn't even Reddit's fault, or even the people behind Reddit's fault. But what happened was all the, all these short squeeze, all these stocks that that pushed through the roof, which have now collapsed tremendously. Um, and and Dogecoin is sort of sitting, still sitting around. I think it's fifty eight cents today. It was up around eighty, almost to a dollar. Yeah, uh, when yeah. when the Reddit was when all this was happening. Uh, but, but yeah, it was it's amazing and how sort of the social buying and the social aspect of of this particular crypto coin ran up. Matt, did you buy some? Did you own some? Do you know somebody who, who bought some last <laughs> no, week? No, I do not own Dogecoin, but I know we're getting to Bitcoin, uh, which I do own a tiny, tiny bit of 17 uh, milli Bitcoins, actually. Okay. Um, nice. And uh, I'll just say before, it, it, I know you have some points to make here. So when I purchased it, uh, a full Bitcoin was worth about $9,000. And uh, then it dropped to six for quite a while. So I had lost money. And yeah, um, as, as you have, we have your, it's up to 50,000. So I made a little bit of money, but you know, not a ton. Cause I only had 17, it was like $150. Right, 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 right. But you, but you had some, so you got in it. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that incremental, you know which is sort of Robin Hood's and, and Acorn and all that sort of model, like buying not full stocks. You're buying what you can afford. You can open up an account for $50 and buy a share of Apple and only get half the stock or whatever, but it's it's yeah, letting yeah. it's letting retail investors, it's letting everybody, it's just giving incredible access to to anybody who wants to be in the stock market. And you don't have to be an investment banker. You don't have to have yep. a E-Trade account or a TD Ameritrade account. Uh, but it is causing some we see we see what could happen. It is causing some disruption. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
good or bad, that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is, is crypto and this run up of the over fifty thousand of over fifty thousand dollars. And just like the Reddit effect, it had a similar effect with Tesla. This Tesla effect, as we're calling it, Elon Musk tweets out and announces. Well, is it? A, I guess it wasn't just a tweet. It was a it was a press release. It came from Tesla. They made this. They made this buy that Tesla is going to buy one point two billion dollars in Bitcoin. And it went from, and you could throw up the chart there, Matt. You could see the run up from where it was to where it went over in a very, very short amount of time. It, it closed close to fifty thousand dollars. Went from a thirty thousand in, in you know the end of January started to, cr- to climb up and made that huge jump that yep. you see in February just because Tesla made that decision and Elon Musk decided to invest. Yeah, and I think they said they um, they also announced they will accept Bitcoin as payment, and that's that's another big change. Uh, you know, more and more companies, there's companies. I think Target started accepting Bitcoin years ago. I could be wrong on that, but there was multiple big companies that accept Bitcoin as payment when early on it was considered, you know, cryptocurrency was considered the the shadow market currency. You know, the it wasn't considered part of the regular economy, and yeah, most places would let you pay in Bitcoin. Um, that's been changing, you know, pretty rapidly. And the and, fact that Tesla now, right. And the fact that you can now buy a Tesla, you can buy a model S for yeah. two, for two Bitcoins right now, maybe three, uh, he's getting a little high on the price, but whatever, <laughs> but yeah, it's three Bitcoins at this point, but yeah. So, so Matt, you wanted to talk about some of this crypto and how it connects yeah, to the so world. Why, why are we talking about cryptocurrency? Well, it, because I mean, cryptocurrency is having bigger and bigger impact on the economy um, and things that have impact on the economy has impact on work. Um, so, um, as you might have noticed in our first episode, we talked about how we're going to cover blockchain, and we're, pro- we're, we're probably going to dedicate an episode just to talk deeply about blockchain. Blockchain okay. is the technology behind just about all uh, cryptocurrency. Behind And Bitcoin, when they created Bitcoin, they created the blockchain, um, sort of the blockchain process, um, for lack of a better term, of creating a distributed ledger technology, you know, and giving public access to their own system that does not require an intermediary. It doesn't require banks. It doesn't require um, folks to check off transactions. You, know, you can you know, work with some, I can send money to Christian actually anonymously, and he can send money back to me for payment for something or exchanging goods or whatever it might be. Um, and the invention of, of Bitcoin goes back to 2008 uh, by someone named Satoshi Nakamoto which we're not sure if it's actually one person or if it's a he or she, or if it's even a group of people. There's, there's, there, we're not even sure who created it, but the, the technology has so much potential um, in, in workforce and education um, that's just, we're just scratching the surface of. Uh, if, if we set up smart contracts via blockchain, we could actually pay people wages that way. And what's the benefit of that? You can pay people instantly. The moment they, you know, you could pay people by the hour on the hour. Um, it's a big problem, especially in low-income communities, of having to wait two weeks or a month to get paid or that, that kind of thing. Or if you're a contractor, um, like I am, and, and Christian is, you know, waiting on your payment, you know, for a job that you're doing, you know, and sometimes you have to wait months. You have a smart contract. As soon as we check off that the work has been done, the payment is deposited in the account, you know, and usually with using a cryptocurrency, but it's built on block. It's a contract built on blockchain. Um, and this could even have potential for building new jobs in finance, you know, that we're not even aware of yet. What it's 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 been changing the finance world, and is going to continue doing so, and that just creates opportunity. So, what you just described, just just that 
the the method of payments is 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 so in, in my so in prep the, the speed of transaction in business transaction right sure like wall street does it super fast but you know what does it doesn't happen for you and i sure we could go to a, we go to a place and we put a credit card in guess what that that vendor small business got a square that takes time it takes yep. days to get that transferred into the account venmo pick one doesn't matter it takes it takes days for that transaction with these yeah, smart contracts, it, it goes through multiple intermediaries sometimes, and they all take their cut of the transaction. Exactly, what happen when you do it on blockchain via uh, cryptocurrency. And the speed of that for for that to change large business transactions and then small business transactions for that for those smart contracts to be able to happen in an instant, or just like you said, Matt, you check off that it was done, that good was that good was served, that product was was handed off, that service was provided immediate payment, that blockchain, the, just the speed of the transaction and money flow from hand to hand uh, alone is is incredible. So yeah, blockchain is, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to do a whole episode. There's, there's, there's downsides and there's downsides of blockchain. And when we go into deeper uh, territory with blockchain, we'll talk about the downsides. Too. And the great, the, the, you know, another great part about this, you know, is that we're talking about new jobs in finance. Yeah. This is also going to be a trend of our episodes. This is all, we, we're our thread of our episodes, I should say. When we talk about automation, there's always concern that that disruption is going to cause challenges in the workplace. But is it? It's not. Yeah. Perhaps, right? New jobs will happen. New jobs, the way of how we do or what even you do now, what people do now will change. Same thing in finance. Does this mean that banks are going to start closing and tellers and finance offices and mortgage lenders are going to start losing their jobs? There'll be, there'll be opportunities to do other things. So yeah. I think as yep. we talk about these disruptions, if it's technology or what have you, there's going to be opportunity. That's the biggest thing I think that about this blockchain and about your crypto. So our takeaways for today are, are twofold. One, ongoing remote work is a change leadership issue. Matt brought it up about does, a, does an institution not only have the infrastructure to do it, can they provide their, their workers with laptops and cameras and microphones and all those other things. But at the same time, there's a management shift that has to happen too. Managing remote workers, not line of sight, not being in the same office, not being able to, not being able to, to, to be to have that water cooler or be, you know, pull people into a meeting where you can see what they're doing. Yeah. That's a monster change in management and it's a monster change in the leadership. So the leaders of the companies, big or small, have to understand that remote work or have to have this sort of a culture change because mm -hmm. of remote work. And that's where that change leadership yeah. comes in. That's a big part of, of the ongoing nature of remote work. It happened overnight in March, but for, for it to continue and sustain, it needs to be, a, it's a change leadership issue. Yeah, and, and second point, cryptocurrency and blockchain are one of those new technologies that we need to track when we're looking at the future of work. It's, it's a kind of a financial mystery right now of, of why it's so um, you know volatile, but it, it one thing is for sure is its impact in the economy in a major way. And whatever impacts the economy is going to create new opportunities and new challenges and new barriers and things to pay attention to in the world of work. Um, and so that's why we talked about that today. And we want you to come back. We're going to go deeper in these subjects. We're going to keep posting these videos. This is our second of hopefully many. So. Um, What's next? Uh, we're gonna go deeper in automation. We touched on automation a little deeper on our first episode. 
how COVID's impacting industries, our blockchain future of FAG, going deeper on that, state of remote work, something we got to keep uh, paying attention to. So there'll be updates to that as we learn more and experience it more and start to come back to work or come back to offices after the pandemic, okay. um, gig work, um, and then like we did today, reviewing articles, <laughs> critically reviewing the big guys like McKinsey and, uh, and other, other types of things we're going to be doing. So yes, definitely come back. This is how you reach us. There's Matt's email. There's my email. Uh, thanks for listening. If you, if you stuck all the way to the end, thanks for being here. Uh, we hope that this is going to be beneficial to you and your thoughts about what the future work's going to look like. Uh, we enjoy doing this future shock stuff. Episode two yep. coming at you. Episode three real soon. Thanks everyone. All right, thanks everybody.